Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 483. How are you all? Thank you all for tuning in and thank you for all the love. My guest this week is another amazing guest. I'm chatting with Maisie Adam and I bloody love Maisie. We've only met once ages ago and we chat about it in the podcast, but I've been really enjoying everything that Maisie's been doing on podcasts, on TV and all over the place. I was delighted to talk to Maisie. If this is your first time tuning in, go back and check out last week's episode with Alistair Green or previous episodes within the last month or so with Lauren Patterson, Jordan Gray. I'm thinking of the comedians. I've had Frankie Boyle, Kerry Godleman, Mark Thomas, David Earle, Jack Rook, Ian Sterling. There's been a load all this year. Sarah Soleimani, you know, the list is almost endless. I've had Stephen Fry on this year. What a year it's been. What a year it's been. But yeah, as ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy all my merch. It's all got 27% off at the moment. And that's just an ongoing thing because times are shit for everyone. You can also head to patreon.com forward slash scroobiuspip to sling in a dollar a month to support the podcast or catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio. I did a thing over on Twitch and I've uploaded it onto to YouTube now. We've called it the Blair Twitch Project. On Halloween, I went and had a walk in some spooky woods and um, I live streamed it and it went so entertainingly that I decided I should put it up on YouTube. So you can go and watch that if you want. It's 30 minutes or so. And if you don't know what Twitch is, I explain in the intro. Don't panic. Anyway, this isn't about Twitch. This isn't about... Halloween, this isn't about merch. This is about the wonderful Maisie Adam, who agreed to do this talk, I think, within 24 hours of finishing their huge tour. So I was delighted to even get the chance to talk that quickly. And what unfolded was, you know, another one of my favourite conversations. So get this in your ears. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 483, with Maisie Adam. All good, my end. Well, let's begin. I'm here with Maisie Adam. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, pal. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? I've been thoroughly enjoying you on loads of different things. So there's loads I want to talk about. And I want to, like, you've just finished your tour as well. So I want to talk about that. You're literally a day out. But first (laughs) things first, I want to discuss how mad it is that your name is Maisie Adam and not Maisie Adams. It's... It's bonkers, isn't it? How 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 regular do you think you p- people get that wrong? Like it, it's it's almost like it's a rare treat if I turn yeah. up to a venue and I'm billed correctly or I'm announced on stage correctly. And it happens with both names. The other day, uh, uh, I think it was at Southampton on one of my last tour dates. It said on the thankfully my tour poster is all grand that they'd got on display, but then they'd put their own little sign on, and it was like. 
Maisie was spelt wrong, just wasn't how my name's spelt, and then it was Adams on both. And it's so mad, isn't it? It's, it's quite a British thing, I think, but, like, that's your name. You should be able to go, like, oh, that's not that's not my name, yeah. to quote the Ting Tings. I've got an excuse. I've given myself a ridiculous name, so if they get mine wrong, well, exactly. it's fine. It's fine, but yours exactly. isn't that mad. It's like Olivia Coleman, Like, Olivia Coleman, absolute national tre- tre- treasure. There's no E in her name. No. No. no one can accept that. No one can get their head around that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I even think if my last name was Coleman and people were putting an E in, I would feel like a diva or like a dickhead for going up and being like, excuse me, there's no E in, in Coleman. Yeah. So instead, I've just been, even now, like five years into comedy, I'll just walk on stage to the name that isn't my name or, or you know, with a poster outside that doesn't have it correctly but, um, yeah, it's Adam, just singular. And it always means a lot when an MC checks beforehand. That's been happening a lot more recently. Yeah. People go, and it's Adam, not Adams, isn't it, before they bring me on. And you think, thank you for checking. Thank you. It's such a small and simple thing. But, and again, it's, 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 I completely understand it as well. As I said, the, the reason yeah. the Olivia Coleman one came, comes to mind is I think I did a tweet saying how Olivia Coleman is one of my favourite actors study their work, really yeah. try and learn from them. Someone instantly said, you spelt the name wrong. Said, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm claiming to be a super fan here and I don't even know how their name is spelt. So, <laughs> yeah. But but sp- speaking of tour, how's it been? I said, as we're recording this, you literally finished two days ago yeah. or a day ago or something. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. you jumping on no, so not quickly. At not at all. It, it was my first proper big tour pip, so I had no like no idea what to expect. I had no idea if I'd love it or hate it. Yeah. Um, I spent most of last year doing tour support for other bigger comedians, and it was fascinating how different their audiences were. So I didn't even know like what type of audience I would get. So there was all this stuff to find out. And I'll be honest with you, mate, I bloody love touring and my audience are absolute legends. And it, it was a wonderful, wonderful 33 dates. And then they, it, I, even, this is so British, but I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but 33 dates and they sold so well that we've just added 27 more for the new year. So I love it. it I, I already like, I mean, I can wait for it to start again. I'm very ready for a little break now, but like, I'm looking forward to being back with it already because I just love the experience so much. That's so good to hear because it's a really weird one with comedy, isn't it? Because I I, I remember speaking off mic to James Acaster about this, how when he was doing a lot of TV, his tours, he's talked about it loads, his tours changed massively because his comedy is quite meant to be quite odd and subversive, but because he'd been on... Eight or ten cats and all these things. He was getting an audience who weren't there for that, and it was really jarring yeah. for him. So that must have been a nerve-wracking thing after doing loads of amazing TV spots to go in. Well, it's selling well, but how's it going to be? Is this going to be a joy of thirty days or a torturous thirty days? It's such a weird thing yeah. to think of because, in general, you you're again, it's such a British thing to claim that you don't crave success or again i grew up in into punk music and it was such a taboo to want to be successful yeah, and it's that's like it. that's no it. you should be allowed to want if you're proud of what you're, you're doing you should want as many people as possible to hear it a hundred percent a hundred percent i i also think that that's because it does happen in music as well yeah of that thing of like you want your comedy to or, or your music or whatever it is that you're creating you want it to be 
successful to a degree that people would choose to spend their evening and their money coming to see you. Yeah. But then, uh, like with J- as James has spoken about, you can get so into the mainstream success that they'd come regardless of what it is you were creating. Yeah. And then it, and, and I've I've seen this in, in music a lot of like when you first go and see an artist that you really love and you go and see them in a small, intimate venue and it's fantastic. I always use this example of like my cousins went to go and see Adele at like one of those little O2 academies, yeah. um, you know, when she was like 90 and people were talking while she was on and stuff. And now she's playing like arenas. Ad- Adele supported me in a hundred cap venue with, with just a guitar like years ago. And that was the first time I saw Adele l- live and it was like Honestly, right? Oh my so word. so you've got you've you've got those ones and you've got like the, the glee clubs, the, yeah. the comedy clubs. Yeah, yeah. They've all got stories of when Adele was doing her first tour yeah. and she was out she was doing the glee clubs. And you sometimes watch her like well, I I do anyway. I watch her or anybody doing these arenas, and you think that's incredible. But I wonder if they sometimes crave that like more intimate space yeah. where people are coming because they discovered her on this obscure music website or something, and they're a bit more. They've not just come because it's her off the telly. Yeah. And so I'm kind of. I think I've had that like appreciation with this tour that I'm in. I'm in like a nice little sweet spot and I feel like I'm sort of having to, I keep telling myself like stop to smell the roses because I can tell that people have come because they know me off of stuff, you know, telly stuff that I've done. But also I'm not of such a a level where anybody's coming because it's just somebody off telly or somebody off the, do you know what I mean? Like they come because they like me as opposed to they come because they like comedy. And that's a lovely bit to be in. In in music, it's the Brixton Academy level. B- yes, before they've yes. got to the arenas and it's it's then a bit dead and you can't really get it. It's Brixton where it's like, this is big, yeah. but it's still it's still proper. It still feels special. It still yeah. feels special. Yeah. 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 That's the best analogy we've had for this. And, and I, <laughs> I, I suddenly feel ten times cooler that I'm at the Brixton Academy. You're in the Brixton Academy le- level. That's exciting. But uh, did you feel pressure going into this tour? As you said, you've You've supported loads of people in big places and things like that, but this was your first proper big, you know, big headline. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of points, particularly early in comedy and in music, where you're doing 20 gigs in the month, but it's not a tour. It's 20 gigs. Yes. Whereas this yeah. was a tour. This was a show that you're taking on the road and it's promoted as a tour and it's one thing. This is it. This is it. Like normally in a typical month, as you say, I'm doing I'm doing twenty odd gigs. It's not. Yeah. In a, it, it, that's that's really really normal. But on those gigs, it's you and three other comedians and an MC, and yeah. the audience have come for comedy. They've not come for Maisie. Or they've not come for yeah. so. They've come just for a night out. They don't, and often they don't even know who's on. And I think especially like not to get too sort of earnest for a minute, but especially off the back of a pandemic and in a cost of living crisis, to have people coming out and spending their money on a night out to see you, one person, that feels really special. And it's not something that you can just expect people to do. So when it when it happens, it feels really like genuinely so grateful because I know that it's it's sort of there's so many things that have to just take a pinch at the moment. And I I would yeah. imagine that going out to see comedy where, and it's not just the ticket price. You're going out and you got to get there on the trains on the tubes. You got to have a drink whilst you're there. And I don't know. It just it feels special. I think as well, again, there's there's even more on top of that because I'm still in a position kind of post-pandemic 
where I've got at-risk parents and stuff like that. So if I'm going to something, it will be one thing that month kind of thing because it will be a case of I'm willing to be in a crowd in that situation, but then I want to isolate a bit and not put my family at risk and things like that. I'm going to a thing this evening and and it comes to mind because when we were talking about that thing of almost the shame of getting successful, (laughs) when my music was starting to blow up, I was at South by Southwest and me and Saul Williams got interviewed together and Saul Williams was saying I've got no loyalty to the underground I've written stuff with a message I want as many people to hear it as possible and if anyone wants to turn around and say oh you've got too big then that's horrible that's not supportive and it's he's made a film that I've I've had a little part in producing and as soon as it was like well they're doing a launch of that I've got to go and you know it is it does feel special to me because I said I've been to like two public type things since the pandemic and that's it so yeah yeah don't you 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 can take pride in how special that feels that people are going you know what not only am I going to spend money I'm going to go out I'm going to do this and it will still be for it although a lot of people moved on from the pandemic a year ago there's still an awful lot of people who that will be the first thing that has made them go you know what I want to go out and see this I'm going to go and have a good night and I deserve it you know yeah yeah definitely and that that's the thing is is whether whether somebody's going out every night because they can or they're not you know they don't have to, they don't have to worry about covid but even just they can if they're in a financial position to yeah. be going out every night like I want them to enjoy it just as much the person who's who that's their one thing that yeah. month where they're yeah. going to enjoy it um so it's it's felt really really special and I think I think doing the tour supports last year massively helped because it's that thing of like, and again, I'm sure this happens in music of like, you do the support, but also you stick around to watch how like the main act uh, interacts with the yeah. audience and you go, oh, that's a clever trick. That's a clever trick. Or you do, oh, okay, that's clever. And you, you get used to different rooms. Like on this tour, there's been everything from like classic comedy clubs where it's low ceiling, it stinks of burger, the, the floors are sticky yeah. um, and it's perfect for comedy. And then there's other ones where it's an art centre and yeah. that can work for comedy great as well, but it, it's a different it's a different gig yeah. completely because yeah. they're on raked seating and it's you know there's there's volunteers at the end of every row and they're always yeah. called Valerie and they're always sixty and they're always very very lovely ladies and you don't get them at the comedy clubs you get students just going yeah sit there and don't heckle you know it's really different environments yeah. that you're doing your gigs in and that's it it's just felt like a constant learning process I feel. I mean, it's such a dorky thing to come out of your tour saying, but I feel like I've learned as a comedian so much just from doing it. It's such a good thing, I think, for a comic to do. Yeah, I think it's completely valid. And I think what a lot of people... I think that's that's one of the greatest hacks in any industry is people get mm. focused on, oh, I've got this gig or I'm getting paid this. It's like, no, the yeah. key is you've got access to this. Yeah. And since I moved yeah. into acting, every role I've got... I've tried to hang around after I've finished shooting. I've tried to be there as much as I can to learn off other people because it's like, right, it's dope that yeah. I'm being paid to do this, but it's also dope that I'm getting in this the, the, this room. I always remember the first time I was doing like a big theatre on like a multi-person um, gig. I was just doing a bit of spoken word in the middle and all those kind of gigs, I was always like, oh, oh can I watch? And that always be, yeah, just yeah. go in the crowd and all that kind of thing. And I remember the first one I did for Robin Ince and, and Professor Brian Cox, I was like, I'm going to go in the crowd early and watch. I didn't think about the fact that all my clothes are black. So so I'm in the, in the crowd in black jeans and a black shirt. Everyone was asking me where, where their seat was. 
because they all just thought I worked there. They thought I was an usher. So I'm stood. I'm getting in early to kind of because I said there'll be some empty seats to keep an eye out, but lurk about. So I'm in the crowd and I'm showing. I was like, I'm just going to go with it. I'm too embarrassed to say, excuse yeah. me. I'm actually under. I was just showing. I've got a decent idea of, of layouts of theatres. So I was you just went full usher, didn't you? You you got a little <laughs> flashlight out showing them to their seats. I was showing yeah. people to their seats and that. And then halfway through, I'm up on stage going, "Hello, <laughs> I'm going to do some spoken word now." Um, serving the Hagen Dars at half time. Yeah, exactly. You got to hustle. You got to get all the side hustles in. Yeah, yeah, and you, you, you got. I do. Th- I really do believe that you learn as much off the job as on the job. Mm, like doing time. those tour support. If, if you take, for example, I did tour support for Jason Manford last year on quite a few of his dates, and I learned as much performing to his audience. You learn in those twenty minutes when you're doing the warm up. You learn on stage, but then I'd stand at the side watching him interact with his audience and coming in and also when you've done a few dates you know his show quite well so you know when he's coming out the show to interact and when what which bit is spontaneous and which isn't and also just just chats in the green room of going oh jason that's interesting how do you go about doing this how do you do that and he he's been lovely for that in terms of very generous of, of of advice and encouragement and josh widdicombe as well like very people who've been doing it a long time yeah who know that trade like the back of their hand and you can you, you can watch them do it you can learn doing it yourself and then you can chat with them in like a personal reflection way off off stage it's it was so i think i'd have had probably not not i'm not saying it would have like been horrific but i think i would have not have enjoyed the tour because i wouldn't have felt so equipped had I not done the tour support for these people last yeah. year. And it can back up and acts like that who've been doing it a long time and have got that confidence and comfort. It can back up your instincts as well. Like, again, yeah. I, yeah. I always remember early days of touring, I'd say something that really got a good reaction in the crowd in between poems or in between songs. And then I think, oh, I can't say that tomorrow night. It'll feel f- fake. But it's like, well, if the opportunity comes up each night... It's a different yeah. crowd. Give everyone that same yeah. bit of enjoyment. But I'd be second-guessing myself saying, no, it's manufactured now. And then you see pros touring this and you support it. people. It's like, oh, he does that reference every night and the crowd loves it every night. So just, yeah. it's all right. S- yeah. Stop overthinking yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's a huge lesson is to stop overthinking everything. I don't think I'll ever stop. I, I overthink every aspect of my life all the time, in, in my yeah. career and, and, and away from it. But um, that's a huge thing of just, as you say, backing up your instincts. It it, it, it hugely helps. But yeah, yeah I'm, st- I'm still telling myself not to overthink things, but I, w- I will till the day I die. Of course you will. Of course you will. Well, I mean, as I said, it was your first big tour and get this radio level link. Speaking of firsts, the first time <laughs> we met was on your, your podcast. It's a first yes. back in 2020, just before the world went a bit funny. Oh, my word. It seems yeah. like long... I was going to say... I'd, like, I. I looked up, up when it came out, and we probably recorded it end of 2019, maybe, but it feels like yeah. so much longer ago because of it, what's happened. It feels like, yeah, in yeah that decades time. ago. My almost, instinct it? was that it was five, six years ago, and then I looked, I was like, yeah. oh, it was a couple of years back. <laughs> it's so mad. It's so mad. And it's been such a like. Uh, 
I mean, obviously, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of your listeners here. Here he goes again, going, hasn't it been a mad time for everyone? Because honestly, everybody said that over and over. But it's it's true, and it's it it, it you kind of have that like complete lack of sense of time yeah. with it. That like I've I've definitely noticed that of like there's some there's some things where it feels like it was yesterday, and there's some things where it feels like it was five six years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you came on you came on up, man and Tom's podcast. God, I can't believe it was only 2019. I would have honestly, if, you, if you'd have had, had me guessing, I would have said 2017, something like that. Well, it came out in 2020, so I'm just imposing on that. It must have been recorded 2019 because I'm not having that it was it was two yeah. years ago. No. God, what a, a weird time. I was out in Australia when this all kicked off. I was oh, really? like, I, yeah, and I was so excited. I'd done Adelaide Fringe for a month. And then we were meant to do Melbourne and everybody was like, oh, if you're enjoying Adelaide, wait till you do Melbourne. That's going to be good. You'll love Melbourne. And I was so excited for Melbourne, especially because when I left uni, Pip, I went on like this round the world trip with my brother because um, we're quite close. He's four years younger than me, but we're quite close. But we sort of realised, well, I'm leaving uni and you're going to go to uni. Yeah. So like we probably won't ever live you know, I would go home and he'd be at home. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, That's really but, nice. but that wasn't going to be the case ever again. So we were like, let's let's go on this like round the world trip. So we saved up for a couple of years to do it. And um, one of the countries we did was Australia, and we'd never been before. So I was twenty two and he was eighteen, and um, the only person we knew who'd been to Australia was our dad. And we were like, oh, dad, where should we go? And he was like, don't bother with Melbourne. It's just full of concrete. There's nothing going on there. <laughs> And he'd gone in like the late 80s on like a, you know, backpacking trip. So we started off in Sydney instead. And the whole time that we were going right round Australia, all the other people our age that we'd meet would go, oh, yeah, have you been to Melbourne? Isn't Melbourne brilliant? And we'd go, oh, no, we didn't because our dad said it was shit. And they'd go, when did, you get, when did your dad go? <laughs> 1988. It's just like such a stupid thing for us to just listen to. <laughs> Our dad. Um, so then I was really excited that I was finally going to get to go Melbourne and then somebody ate a bat. And yeah. uh, No, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm going this year. I think I'm going in uh, in April. I love it. I hope it lives up to expectation. It's got a lot of pressure yeah. on it now. Oh, if I go now and it is full of concrete, I yeah. will be fuming. Or if you'd gone Fume. then, it, would, it genuinely would have been the best time because it would have been so underhyped that it would have uh-huh. been good. But now you've had the opposite. It's going to be overhyped yeah. that you're going to go and be like, oh, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of concrete. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair to me, Dad, there's quite a bit of concrete. Um, it wasn't wrong. There, there's loads I want to talk to you about, but I always worry that like it's stuff you've talked about a load of times before. Part of that is because I've enjoyed you on tons of podcasts and I'm always – because of having been a podcaster for so long, anytime yeah. I hear podcasts, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I want to jump in. I want to f- find out more about that. And I want to ask some questions. So I'll ask you a load of stuff. If any of it is stuff that you're bored to death with, just skim over it and we'll move on quickly. I won't be offended. Okay. But I want to know a little bit. You mentioned you and your brother and you mentioned your dad. I want to know a little bit about the weird dip that you gr- gr- grew up in. Your, you, you, your, where you lived is essentially a hole, right? Tell me a little That's bit it. about it. The dip. Oh, my God. So this all came from an episode of Mot the Week where I was like, I think we were talking about the icy weather. That must have been in the news that week. And I was talking about, so where I grew up in Yorkshire is this village, but you go down a road into it and then the road out of it is that way as well. So I just said in passing, not thinking it was an odd thing to say, oh, well, where I grew up, it was in like a dip. And then I went on to talk about 
there'd be this woman, and it, it was true, there was a woman in our village who, when it was icy weather, would walk with her feet like that, and she'd say, 10 to 2, 10 to 2, while she was walking. And I thought that would be, like, the funny anecdote to, to tell. But Ed Gamble jumped in and was like, you've never, you've never sounded more northern than saying, when I grew up in Yorkshire, we lived in a dip. I mean, I mean geographically. And then he, he bought it up again on off-menu, so he, he doesn't oh, let it go. It's the bane of my life. I've done that, like, he does that radio show on Radio X yeah. um, with Matt Crosby, and sometimes I've filled in for Crosby, and it's just it's just Dip FM for it. two, three hours. But, um, I mean, geographically, I'm correct. I grew up in this village that's, like, I always use as a reference pit, like, if you think Vicar of Dibley or this country, that yeah. sort of, that was the yeah. vibe. It was very small, very rural, very just sort of, a few little houses surrounded by big fields and dry stone walls. Not, not. I mean, lovely to grow up in, but not a lot going on. Sounds great. It sounds really nice, mate. <laughs> um, it was, it was, it was nice. It was nice, but it's that sort of village where like everybody knows everyone. Do you know what I mean? And even now, when I go home, like I bump into some because my granny still lives there, and I'll go stay at hers if ever I've got a gig up north. And you bump into all the same people still. Yeah. And they all know the, like, sort of... I mean, like, again, at the risk of sounding like a northern cliche, I went back. I did um, two consecutive dates on this tour. They were Leeds and Harrogate. And so I said to my tour manager, I don't want a hotel. I'll stay at my granny's. And I stayed at my granny's and... All she all she spoke about for the whole forty eight hours I was there was the fact that they'd knocked down the factory, uh, and this is a factory that hasn't been working for like certainly as long as my lifetime. It was an old yeah. pillow factory, I think, yeah, or mattress factory. Brilliant. And she was fuming that they'd knocked it down to, I think, make way for some new new build houses. To make and way for something that can livid. use it. Do you know what I mean? She was like. All these new houses. I was like, well, people have said that when your houses were made, Granny. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. And it was, yeah, I don't know the end of it, but she's fuming about the fact that a defunct factory of 30 years has been it. bulldozed to give it. people a roof over their heads. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skim over the story of your parents being arrested for a felony in America because I know you've you've told that a lot and, and, and made it part of show, all this kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But... I do want to talk, because this was something I don't think I'd heard you talk about. You probably have loads of places, but you just mentioned grandparents. Your granddad changed modern p- policing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, he did. I'd ra- If it's all right, Pip, I'd rather not chat about this, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, that's all um, good. Just because just like, then people like to bring it up. The only thing is, if I speak about it in a podcast, then people always try and bring it up in, like... It's when, like, I plug a show on, like, BBC Bristol and I've got five minutes and they go, your granddad, you're That's all they want to talk about. It's wiki, man. So I'm just trying to, like... Wiki's unedited highlights is just a brutal... I don't get Wikipedia. We were chatting about this morning. There's so much put in my Wikipedia where you're like, who's written that? Do you know who writes your Wikipedia? Well, years ago, I got a journalist who I was a fan of to write my wiki... For me and paid them to kind yeah. of just update it all. I've not looked at it in ages, so probably isn't any of that anymore. But the thing that yeah. used to get me on my wiki was no matter how often I'd get rid of it, someone was obsessed with making sure my real name is on there. And I'm not that that uh, that fussed. I'm from Essex and, and my real name is Dave. Yeah. It's 
it's yeah. David, but uh, you know Essex. Yeah. Dave is a very Essex name. But it just started to be an annoyance that I was like, why? Why do they keep updating that? That's not an important bit. I've removed it. No, exactly. And there's a reason you don't you don't bring yeah. it up. Yeah. And then and then also you you'll probably get journos then who've gone on your Wikipedia and think they're being in the knowledge by then greeting you and going. Hello, Dave. Oh, just like, people, like, just people, mate. That's the thing that, that gets me because everyone in my real life has known me as Pip like since I worked That's in HMV. But I'll, I'd yeah. get in the touring days and I'd get promoters and just all sorts of different people who, to look good around other people, would go, Dave, all right? And I'd be like, Yeah. No. Fuck. Anyone who actually knows me doesn't call me. You've never me that. ever at any point said, Call me Dave. No, exactly. Well, exactly. Can we talk about getting out of the dip and, <laughs> and, and what was your journey kind of into into entertainment because one of the things I was excited to see was you studying up the road from me in South End. I went to, to school in South End and you did some did drama you? school stuff there, right? Yeah. Which school were you at? The Chase? I went to St Thomas More High School for boys. Oh, did you, Pip? <laughs> I well, did a I little never. Catholic school. A little Catholic school. So, yeah, what was your journey into all of this? Because it's fascinating. So... Yeah, like at school, I was I was into. I mean, I'm not academic, so my subjects at school were I loved drama and I loved PE because yeah. I liked showing off and I, I'm good at sport. So I loved all of those things where you were, you were just being physical, basically, rather than sat at a desk writing. I'm I'm hopeless at all of that sort of stuff. And I had a really good drama teacher, Mrs. Bray, who was just one of those teachers where you think, God, if I didn't if I didn't have a Mm. you know i think all the choices i made and then goodness knows what would have happened as as a result of those would have been so much different because she really saw each pupil independently of their capabilities and their interests that's and I so think that's, important it's, right it's, it, it makes such you know a difference I mean? particularly in working class families like m- my area all the careers advice was focused on commuting into London and working in yeah. London and, you know, just yeah. having an office job. No matter how passionate you were about other things, it'd be like kind of dismissed almost of, no, 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 you can't get into those things. Here's what you That's need to word. do That's to the word to use, bills. exactly. Yeah. Dismissed. And it, and it is. At my school, it was... Um, University was just it was just the thing that you would then go on to do. Yeah. Like how you went from year eight to year nine, it was well you'll go from sixth form to university. No question. There wasn't yeah. even any other you, and, and yeah, and it was also the kind of thing like they would, you know, always talk about what percentage of students got grades A star to C. Mm. And I'd always think, yeah, but for some students it's a huge achievement to have got a, a D or a pass or a C, you yeah. know. And I, they used to do this thing, and they, st- they still do it now, which does kind of not, because I loved my school. I really did. It was it was a wonderful experience, and I, 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 I had a really lovely time there. But just little things about that, that do quite annoy me. Like, they still, they still make a big fuss over the students that have got into Oxford and Cambridge. They get a photo of them going, we've had a record 12 people get into Oxford or Cambridge. You go, well, for some people, it's a massive achievement that they got into anywhere or that they've gone or or that university wasn't for them they've gone into the army or they've gone into a a trade you know plumbing or something like that it's just sort of it it, it, that that side of it really frustrated me um I loved school it was a really lovely school to go to and I had lovely friends and it was something I'll come on to this in a minute but it was something that it wasn't until I left school and spoke to other people who had other experiences of school life that I realised how rare mine was in that 
there was ne- no bullying or do you know what I yeah. mean? It was a wonderful yeah. atmosphere and a wonderful school, but that was the only thing that got me was the whole university is just that's that's that's, that's what you're going to do. That's where you're going. Yeah, and and Mrs Bray took me as because I just assumed well I'm going to do drama at uni. I'm going to do drama at uni, and I was looking at all these different places for a drama and theatre studies degree. And Mrs. Bray took me aside and like in the nicest ways. This sounds bad, but it was I was really grateful for it. She said, You're not academic. Don't go to a university because you'll just be writing essays on theatre. Right. And that's not what you're good at. What you're good at is the practical side. So she told me to go to drama school. And I didn't even really know. I thought drama schools were musical theatre, like fame, you know, yeah, people doing yeah, high yeah. kicks in the corridor. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, and I never did musical. I can't sing and I can't dance, but I liked acting. And I like, I always, when I did the school plays, Pip, I would always get the funny parts and I yeah. loved that. But I thought drama school was musical theatre. If you wanted to be in Les Miserables in the West End, I thought yeah. that was what drama school was. She said, no, 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 they do acting degrees. So... I started looking at them all and they are, I mean, again, you feel like another Northern cliche here, but Billy Elliot and his dad going down to London. My parents are wonderful people and they were really supportive, but we were all fish out of water with this. We knew what we were doing. We're going to an open day for a university and walking around and looking at the halls of residence. But going down to RADA and telling your dad to sit in the car whilst you go in and sit and do all of these auditions, they all cost an, ex- an obscene amount of money. I remember RADA cost 50 quid. And my dad had to take a day off work to drive me down to London. Then he's obviously parked on double yellows, so he's absolutely spitting feathers looking out for parking wardens. Yeah. I'm going into RADA, and I think they saw me, Pip, for about three minutes. I, I did my monologue, and then they just went, great, thank you. And I just remember thinking, I can't go out to my dad. He's, he's driven all this way. He's taken a day off work. I went and sat in the loo's in the RADA studios for like for half an hour just sat there thinking give it half an hour and then at least he won't because I honestly thought if I went well I'd also knowing my dad if I'd have come out after three minutes he'd have marched me in going you've not even bloody seen her (laughs) do you know how much we've spent on this audition so it was really weird I just I did the news quiz not so long ago in the same studios and I looked to the loo and I went, I went. I was in the same toilet cubicle as the one that I'd sat at for half an hour. That's I amazing. Thought, God, life, life's funny, isn't it? Life's yeah. funny. But um, I did all these auditions. I must have done about eleven or twelve different drama schools. I did, I did them all. Applied for them all. Didn't get into a single one. So I took a year off. Stayed at home. Worked. I worked at Fat Face. So worked there every every day, and then did bar shifts. The bloke down the road in the dip. He ran the local pub. So I did, I did bar shifts for him. And then I went the next year and I got into one in Liverpool, one in uh, the, the, this one that I ended up going to in, in Southend. And I think it was Rose Bruford. But um, I, I, had, I remember I had three options and I went to do acting and community theatre at East 15, where they've got a campus in Loughton and they've got a campus in Southend. And I went there. I just thought it was so different. I got to all these other drama schools where they're in these like very poncy buildings in london and yeah it was it, you know it's very impressive but east 15 seemed very different that it was like still quite quite rough around the edges it was quite rugged you know yeah. they, they didn't have these like ballet studios in big edwardian buildings i mean the you know the building i'll be on about here but the halls of residence was like in this big lego building yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just sort of looks like lego blocks so 
I thought it was a bit different. And the way it was billed to me was acting in community theatre. It's an acting degree, but we just give you other stuff equipped to like support yourself outside, you know, community theatre. So you might be able to, to, to transfer those skills into all these different areas of the community. So I thought, well, it's the most, it's probably going to be the most employable one. So I, uh, I went to Eastwood and I was there for three years. Loved the first year, found the second year fine, hated it by the end of the third year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it just, the first year was full of everything that I thought it would be, acting stuff, and it was really eye-opening. And then, um, I don't know, I think a lot of people would probably say the same thing about a lot of drama schools, but it's a very it's a very intense place to go, and mm. it's quite, I think they leave your mental health at the door, and the pastoral right. care is next to non-existent. It came, it, a lot came out a few years ago on, on Twitter about all the drama schools, people just yeah. sort of sharing their experiences and I was I was sat I remember sat like going through them and being like yeah that sounds about right just um quite uh unusual methods in their approach to training that you kind of think I don't know if that's I don't know if that's even allowed but yeah. you're kind of getting away with it off the way of going oh we're, we're forming you into good actors and you go I don't know I think you're breaking up people's people's entire sense of self yeah i think you're being a dickhead um i, I think yeah. there's so much of that change in in tv and film industries now as well of going because again i've not been i've only been acting for six years or so now it, it might be longer yeah. I'm t- i said i'm terrible with times um <laughs> but certainly early on it was very much well we'll be working l- late into the night and particularly again particularly the non-cast you'd They'd yeah. be working crazy late and then in crazy early, and it would be a kind of, well, it's the cost of being in this glorious industry. And I think there's a lot now of going, nah, fuck that. People need yeah. to keep their their physical health and their mental health in, yeah. in good condition yeah. in these situations. I think it all it all stems from that. You know, it's a competitive industry, which it is, and you should approach it competitively. But there's a difference between that because they always go with that age old thing of going if it's not. You know, if you don't do it, there's a queue of 20 people behind you that would kill for your job. And that makes you suddenly think, well, I'm willing to do anything and risk anything and kind of put up with anything in order to keep this job. And actually, there's loads of stuff that you shouldn't ever have to put up with and the stuff that you shouldn't ever have to experience or yeah and east 15 in my first year was was lovely but by the end it was it was full of uh, quite a toxic atmosphere really um and 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 i think sometimes especially because i i don't really do acting now pip sometimes i think should i have gone and it's something that i toy with a lot because i'm like you know i was really kind of lost by the 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 end of the three years I thought I'd come out with a really clear vision of what I wanted to do and in fact I felt really like unconfident very like sort of scarred by it all and I and I don't do acting but then I think yeah but I met I met like my best friends who now I still work on comedy with yeah and also I went into drama school thinking I wanted to be an actor and if I'd have come out still thinking that I don't think I'd have gone into comedy I went into comedy because I came out of drama school going, well, I think I want to do acting, but if it's anything like the way they do it in there, I'm not sure I'd do. But then you think, well, I've just done three years of training and, you know, nine grand a year. I've got to at least try. And I moved back in with my parents, didn't have an agent, was going for these auditions of of jobs you don't even want. You're going to an audition for a play you don't even want to be in or an advert that you don't want to be in, but you feel like you've got to 
build it up. And I just kind of felt there was a complete lack of control and of ownership. But what I really wanted was basically what I had at school originally, was being in plays and making people laugh. So it kind of just came out of, I, I, I hesitate to use the word desperation, but a desperation to still get that feeling of being on stage, but knowing that it, it wasn't going to come from what, what East 15 had told me to do and these auditions I was sort of vying for. Yeah. Like, I still remember one of the first auditions I went for was this McDonald's advert straight out of East 15, and they had to pair you up. The, the advert was meant to be a tall woman with a small man, and then they paired us up in all of these things, and they had to, you had to go to camera, each what, each pair. Hi, I'm so-and-so, represented by so-and-so, and I'm based in thingy. And they all had agents, and I just had to be like, Hi, I'm Maisie Adam. I don't have representation. And the the looks that I got was like, yeah. you don't have representation. It was like, no, I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. The judgment. It's so weird how bad experiences can mould your view of everything. And 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 again, it's like I was really lucky that my first couple of acting gigs were just an absolute joy so when i then hit one or two bad experiences of castings or whatever else it was like all right well these things happen kind of thing or again there are still some old school type people in the industry and old school things like that but if they're the ones you hit first i can completely see how it's going to make you go fuck this well that's it that's it i I did like i got one acting job of, of, of all the auditions i was putting myself for and actually and also, like, some of my friends who did have agents, they weren't getting even put forward for anything. Yeah. I was just just checking these casting pages every day and going myself. And eventually I got one, and it was a Sky Arts thing. It was an Urban Myths piece, and it was... Um, they had this series called Urban Myths where they'd kind of take big moments in history and kind yeah. of obscure yeah. the fact. I remember it. And it was this one about... Do you remember when the Sex Pistols went live on TV with Bill Grundy and, yeah. this, and yeah. Donnie Rotten swore... So it was, it was reimagining that, and Susie Sue is stood in the background with the Bromley contingent. Yeah, um, she sort yeah. of stood behind the chairs in that, and I got cast as Susie Sue, and it had Steve Pemberton in as Bill Grundy, and it had Danny Mays in. I was like, oh my god, this is like your first acting job, and I got it myself without an agent. And I loved it, and it was really wonderful. And talking to people like Steve, who was talking lots about comedy, yeah. and I think it, that must... I, I look back now, and I'm like, that's clearly what it was. But I think I came away from that going, well, I got that myself. I didn't need a blooming age. I didn't need me 15 training to do that. Mm. I, you know, I, I mean, the job was essentially sort of smoking behind Bill Grundy and looking uncomfortable when he, when he came onto you, which was easy enough to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just thought, like... I I don't want this acting thing, but I do want that performance thing. And I think that's where I just sort of pushed myself and thought, give comedy a go, give stand-up comedy a go. Um, and I did, and then I just never, never looked back. I think well, it's stand-up comedy, you do it once, and then it's, it is a, such a buzz that you're, you're but, doing it forever. Yeah, but there's a beautiful thing that the experiences you got, again, good or bad, but the experiences of doing acting and doing drama and that, will have equipped you amazingly for being on stage and for doing comedy. Because, again, particularly early days, and, again, the comparison between comedy and music and all these other things, stagecraft and stage confidence can be the hardest bit to get for people. People can have amazing material, but it just won't land because they're up there so nervous or so awkward, whereas that experience that you've had, you probably came into comedy a bit more, all right, let's own the stage and let's... 
I think so, yeah. Like, even now, I still remember stuff that, like, I was taught in youth theatre at Leeds Playhouse. Like, I'm still... Like I did, I did Leicester Square Theatre the other day, and it was sold out, and I was so nervous. And I'm there doing like the warm ups that we used to do before youth theatre when I was like 15, and they still that. help. They still help. So um, yeah, I, I do think like there's transferable skill. I just sometimes, I sometimes wonder if like three years quite a, a toxic drama school was 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 necessary. Yeah. But it was. I, I I enjoyed being in in South End. I've never sort of you know again growing up in in a village like the Dip as we'll call it. South End was so different just to be near the sea, just to be near Southmouths, yeah. sp- speaking like how they did. Like it was. I'm glad I went to uni there, and I'm glad I met the people I did. It was more the institution that I think we could have just done without. I feel you completely. And uh, as I said, I love South End. It's a weird kind of in between. It's not. It doesn't feel like a proper seaside town like your Blackpools or your Brightons or yep. whatever else, but it's also not one of those you'll know from on tour and that every now and then you'll stop by somewhere that's a proper goat, like it's proper stuck in the 70s, a ghost town type seaside yeah, town. Yeah. It's not that either. It's this kind of middle ground of, yeah, it's, it's kind a, of is it's what it is. It's such a but. weird place. Like they used to, and it's a shame really because I went, I went there on my tour recently mm. and um, I went to go and like see all the places that we used to go out in and they used to have this oh, where did you used on, to go uh, out where did... so we used to go out in uh chameleon and talk and box nightclub yeah and mayhem and it's all on lucy road that yeah. one that then backs onto the seafront i went down all. there and um they've all gone they've all gone and i'll tell you in terms all that's I, left I is the pound story. in a pint jar uh strip club yeah. pub thing down there because again it's a it's a I, I used to go to all them clubs. That's a shady area to be, be going it's to a, a really club. Like even like as a young man, let alone as as a young w- woman or as students or whatever else, you'd proper have to go through shady alleyways to yeah, get to this yeah, club yeah. night. It's like why why is it here? Yeah, that weird little place. It literally went around a churchyard, didn't it? You had yeah. to go around there. And then just the darkest, shadiest car parks opposite and stuff like that. Yeah. I, yeah, my dad obviously would always be like, get a taxi home. And I'd be like, but I literally live the other side of the car park. And he'd be like, I've seen the car park, get a taxi. So uh, the taxi drivers used to hate me because I'd get in and be like giving an address that was going to earn them about four quid. But um, it was the maddest thing that happened in those strip of nightclubs. We remember, we used to go out every night. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you this as well. On Freshers' Night... When I first got there and you go into like your communal kitchen to sort of make friends with everybody and I'd gone to the Freshers Fair and I'd got my little wristband and they said, oh, this gets you into the nightclub for free tonight for Freshers. I was like, oh, great. And it had the name Chameleon on and I'd never seen the name Chameleon written down and I went into the kitchen to like make friends with everybody and we were all talking and I was like, oh, has anybody else got these wristbands for Chameleon? And they were like, you what? It's like, for Chameleon. And obviously, I didn't live that down for the next three years. And every time we went out, of I mean, course. it became known as Shama. We're going, we're going out in Shama tonight. And you'd get out and we'd be going, Shama, Shama, Shama fucking Leon, every time we were out. <laughs> um, but one night, like, they had a poster outside the nightclub being like, oh, make sure you're here this time in two months. We've got Snoop Dogg DJing. I said, no, there's no way there's actual Snoop Dogg. DJ in at, at I, th- I think that was at Talk Nightclub, and uh, yeah. he did. Snoop Dogg came and did a DJ set at like a Freshers' Night in South End. We were we all thought it was going to be some shit tribute or something, or 
I don't know, a bloke doing a DJ set of his stuff. Snoop Dogg came to Southend. That's mind-blowing. That's the sort of place Southend is. that Only Southend could pull that off of, like, getting Snoop Dogg in a a fresh... Yeah. It's that sort of weird, quirky place. But, yeah. In talk as well, in talk. Mad, mad. He was just behind the desk. And I remember he just was constantly smoking weed throughout the whole... He'd finish one and somebody would just pass him another... Uh, the whole club stank, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that, but that was probably in the in the time where you could get away. And South End is somewhere you'd get away with that as well. No one's grassing you up in South End, are they? I love it. I love it. So, so to kind of, I'll I'll start to wrap things up soon as we're almost at the hour. But um, what was the the route into comedy then, and 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 how was it? Because like you've been on so many of my favourite panel shows and TV shows and things like that. So. From the outside, you kind of see that, oh, you're doing all this TV, you're doing all this, yeah. but you don't necessarily see the years in clubs or the shared lineups and stuff like that. So what was the route from yeah. um, Sh- Chameleon to, uh, to, to comedy? Because people always say, they go like, because I started five years ago, so they go, oh, God, it's such a quick rise. And it is, I think, relatively, comparatively, it is, it is yeah. quick to uh, to be doing those sorts of shows that I'm doing now within the fi- first five years. But also comedy, and I suspect music and acting is, is a similar game, there's never a set way. There's there's the way that most people do it, but it's not the set the set way. And as you say, that doesn't... Well, even, even when it's a quick rise in, like, five years, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been all of those, you know, stinky club gigs that you're doing. So, like, when I yeah. started... There was no comedy scene where I grew up. Nothing like so. I mean, you could go, you could go over to Manchester, but it'd be like three trains, or I could go down to the week for the weekend to London on the Megabus, at which I would do. I'd work in the bars and uh, whatever, well, whatever jobs. I, the, the bloke who used to give me the bar shifts, he was give, like basically giving me cash in hand jobs when I came back from uni, like mobile bars where you doing it in, like, yeah. you know, agricultural shows, that sort of thing. And I'd do all of them. Amazing. I'd do all of them, and then I'd get the Megabus down to London for a weekend, and I would book myself into any gigs I could, open mic stuff, and then Love it. I'd stay in a hostel in Camden that was £12 a night, and there was 10 people in the dorm. And uh, I would start... I bet they were varied nights in Camden... In a hut that's going to be up and down. Honestly, like the stuff you see, the stuff you see. But I would, I would, I would go literally across the city in a night doing all of these open mic spots, trying to get like four or five in, and then um, do the same thing on the Saturday night, and then come back on the Sunday. And I started building up, and and somebody said to me at one of them, like, "Oh, you're." you're very good, you should do a newcomer competition. And again, I didn't really know about it. And it's it's another one of those, like, if Mrs Bray hadn't said that and if this person hadn't said it, that guy, I can't even yeah. remember the name of who it was. It was just another open mic guy just said to me, oh, you're quite good. Have you done any of the newcomer competitions? And I said, oh, what are they? And he told me that a good way of getting noticed is to enter these competitions. And so I looked them up and the top one, when you Google like newcomer comedy competition, is this one called So You Think You're Funny. And it's been running for years. Yeah. I think by that point, actually, yeah. it was like nearly 30 years. And it, the list of who's won it was just like 
comedy heroes and you know even people who haven't won it people who've just been a finalist i was gonna say the list of people who haven't won yeah. it is ridiculous yeah <laughs> like josh widdicombe and alan carl tom allen and ashling b they've all yeah. they've all been in it and um sarah millican so you you, you think all oh, right okay well it'd be a good way of gauging what sort of level i am and by that all i meant is that well if i could do a heat and then maybe i might win a heat and then I won my heat and went through to the semi-final. I thought, well, that would be a good thing to put on your, you know, credits, semi-finalist. But then I won the semi-final and then suddenly found myself at the final, which is in this big room up at the Edinburgh Fringe Pit. But it's like, I think it seats 350, something like that. Big debating hall. It's one of those old, it's in the old Edinburgh University building. So it's quite an imposing room. And of course, by that point, the only crowds you've ever done are sort of 10 to 20 people in the upstairs room of a pub who've come because it's free comedy um, and you're, yeah. you're 18th on the bill. Again, the the madness of things like So You Think You're Funny is the heats will be literally in a pub or whatever above and all this and then yeah. the final will be this grand thing. You're like, hang on, I thought we were doing That's it. a competition in a pub my, with my, 10 uh, people there. My heat was in the upstairs of the Camden Head and then, um, yeah. yeah, the final, you're in this debating hall where it's all high ceilings and you know oak oak furniture everywhere it was it was really imposing and, and it's really dark you can't see anybody when you're on stage yeah so um i was terrified i remember, I remember that and then they they announced the winner i mean i mean they announced the guy who came third who's a really good comedian um called morgan reese you should check him out if you don't know him and he's he smashed yeah. it and he came third and so when they said in third place is morgan I was like, I just sort of wrote myself off in my head. I was like, oh well, I'm I've had a lovely day, you yeah. know, I've had a lovely day, yeah. but I'll 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 be home tomorrow. And then they said uh, second place, who was this this brilliant person, Sarah Mann, and I was like, yeah, great, great. And then they said my name, and I was like, oh my god, and I was so shocked. And then this person was like pulling me onto stage because obviously I hadn't moved. And and that did change everything, winning that, because, yeah. you know, it, it's a prestigious competition. My agent was in the audience and she signed me off the back of that. So it, that that changed everything. But it's um, it, it was relatively quick. You know, I, I, by the time I won So You Think You're Funny, I'd been doing stand-up comedy for eight months. So, yeah. you know, within, within my mad, first year. That is so quick. Yeah. And then, of course, when she'd signed me off the back of that, my agent, she was straight away putting me in the room for, you know, TV panel shows. So between giving it a go for the first time, within a year, you're sat in a, a you know, a read-through of eight out of ten cats and the, the, the production people are just giving you an, basically an audition again. But uh, seeing yeah. how you deal with it and then deciding whether or not to hire you for the real thing. So it's it, it it was quick, but also, like, I think I crammed into my open mic days what most people cram in to their first couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And as said, again, it's all that something I'd often say to people when they'd hit me up on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, asking advice about getting into spoken word or getting into music or doing this and that. Yeah. I'd kind of always say, look, Here's what I did, but also bear in mind, I didn't ask anyone. No. I just looked at what I could do. And I said, the fact that you went, right, I'll get on a mega bus to London, I'll try and get gigs here and things like that, rather than going, how do you become this is a it. comedian? You just went, right, I need to do this. I just need to go and get on stages. And then, again, like with my spoken word career, I did exactly that. I'd go into London and go to open mics. 
and then at open mics there'd be people flying other yeah. gigs or there'd be people who book gigs and then I'd I'd get that and I'd go to that and again it was kind of pre social media going cr- crazy yeah. so it wasn't even that you could just google it it'd be like right I know that at an open mic most of the people getting up and doing stuff probably have the have their own night or have their own yeah. thing that they're trying to yeah. pr- promote and stuff like that and that was That's ba- the key was just going out there and being amongst Exactly it. that's bang on the money what you just said there of like this is how I did it but you've just got, like, I live in Brighton now and there's a brilliant open mic scene, but a lot of the kind of open mic comedians, they've all done, like, courses, comedy courses. And you go, that's great, that's great, but it doesn't automatically give you the next step. It doesn't doesn't work like GCSEs that get you into a university. It's... It's, yeah, fact, exactly. it's, it's just off gigging and, and if you're good and if you're getting better. So if there's somewhere to perform, get yourself in there. Again, because I used to look up open mic nights in, com- in, in London, some of the ones I'd turn up to were open mic music nights. And you'd turn up and you'd go, all oh, right, fuck. Um, and they'd, they'd sort of look at you and go, well, where's your guitar? You'd be like, oh, well, I'm a comedian. And some of them would go, on your bike. And some of them would go, well, if you want to go on, you can. And I'd be doing comedy yeah. in between someone doing Wonderwall and someone doing Ed Sheeran. Like, you just do it. You just love it. sort of, yeah, book yourself. And, and when I was doing that, I would be at these open mic comedy nights and all of these other comedians would then be, because of the sort of culture around it, they're always in these pubs, it'd then be, we do the comedy night and then we have our free drink afterwards and you're chilling around. Yeah. I'd be out there. I'd be run, running to the tube station to get on the, on next, the next one, onto the next one. So nobody else was doing that as far as I could see. So I'm yeah. my way of doing it wasn't the set way, clearly. So I, I get the same thing yeah. when people message me on Instagram going, what's your advice? I've done this course and I've done that. You go... That's fine, but with all due respect, it's almost irrelevant. Like, the only advice, and then you feel like you're sort of giving shit advice, but it is the only way of going, just keep doing it and learning from it and getting better, watching it back, thinking, what can I improve on? Or or the getting better is key as well, because, again, something that people have to learn early on, which often they don't, because often if you're going into anything in the performing arts, you've got an outrageous amount of confidence. Um, But what people need to remember early on is that, you're not very good yet. No. So it's best to do that in front of two people at an open mic yeah. and get better and better. So by the time you've got an audience, yeah. you know what you're doing yeah. and you're good rather than trying to think, how do I get in front of 100 people or yeah. this and that? It's like, you're not ready, mate. No. It'll be a waste if you go up there. You want to have the shit gigs while no one's around. The amount of people as well that are like on the open mic circuit who like write a five-minute set and then just keep performing that over and over. And you go, mm. if it's not worked yeah. at three gigs now, it's probably the material rather than the setting. So yeah. keep writing. Again, I was so new to comedy. I didn't know that you do a five-minute. I thought every gig you went to, you had new jokes. Yeah. So I was always writing. And that's advice that you didn't you wouldn't think you'd have to give but like write new jokes all the time write new stuff keep going keep it fresh um yeah. the amount of people i've seen who are still doing the same 5 or 10 minutes that they were doing 2 3 years ago you think you've got to yeah. you've got to keep writing and keep keep pushing yourself and you're going to die on your ass but you need that to to have the good ones as well it's part of the journey isn't it it is a journey and as i say there's no there's no set path there's no correct way to do it there's no right or wrong way there's just what most people do what some people do what i did what you've done and you can only watch and sort of take from that what you will really 100% well i'll i'll, I'll let you you get on with your, your 
day now, but what's ahead? Like you've just said, you've added a load of extra dates. Got a load of extra dates in the in the new year. Twenty seven new dates. So that's like all of January. Well, end of January through to mid March. I'll be honest, Pip. After Edinburgh Fest, I did Edinburgh Festival. Then I was in Vietnam for two weeks filming League of Their Own road trip, and then went straight on tour. So since July, I've been home five days. So uh, next Monday, I'm off on holiday, mate. I can't wait. Beautiful. Oh, all-inclusive woo-woos every day. That's my plan. That's my plan, okay? Dream. Okay? So I'm going to do all-inclusive woo-woos for a couple of weeks, and then I'm I'm back on tour in the new year and got some exciting telly stuff in between then. And then after tour, Australia. Finally. Concrete jungle of Melbourne. Finally. At last. I love it. I love it. Well, as said, I'm a big fan. I love what you do. I've been seeing you on so you're you're always a highlight on all of the shows you pop up on. Oh, so mate, it's great to you. see that the tour went well and that there's more ahead. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for taking the time, mate. Not at all. A pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Maisie Adam. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'll be back next week. Next week, I'm going to give you two episodes as a little treat. As a little treat. I think you deserve two. Maybe I'll give you a Monday and a Wednesday. Yeah. I think I might do a Monday episode and a Wednesday rather than a Friday. Buddy Peace is hearing about this for the first time. In fact, at the beginning of this recording, not for you guys, I've told him a completely different order. But as I'm recording this outro, I'm deciding where to go. So yeah, we'll be back next week on Monday with a bonus episode and then Wednesday with a bloody another episode. I'll see you then. Ta-ta.